giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast, a weekly podcast discussing the design, development, and business of great software. I'm Chad Pytel, and today I'm joined by Mike McKenna, the CEO of design agency Shotgun Flat. Hey, Chad, hey, how are you? Good. I'm good, too. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you as well. We go way back. <laughs> to, um, <laughs> yeah. So what year did Shotgun Flat start? I started in 2002, actually, as a company called M2 New Media, mm-hmm. and uh, did that for about a year, and then joined forces with another small agency on the South Shore called Novidian. Spent a year doing that, and um, things didn't necessarily work out the way we planned them to, so I um, kind of had a reboot there in 04 and uh, renamed the business Shotgun Flat in 2004. And ThoughtBot started in 2003, and I think that's when we started working together was right after that that rebrand. Yeah. So where does the name Shotgun Flat come from? <laughs> yeah, this is like <laughs> the most common story yeah. I've ever told. So back in... 1999, my wife and I bought a uh, two-family house, and uh, we were just out of college, and we were going to rent one of the floors out and live in the other one, and we were getting it ready to rent by putting paint over everything we saw um, to make it look good, and a couple of my friends were down from college helping out, and one of them commented that uh, I had a shotgun flat on my hands. Um, the term being, of course, the floor plan layout to an apartment where you can see essentially all the way from the front to the back. Um, so we refer to that apartment as the shotgun flat. And then um, in 04, with that rebrand, I moved the business into that apartment and uh, operated out of that for well, probably about six years. And uh, we've since moved out, but the name stayed. Mm-hmm. So you're still in Middleborough? Yes, we're uh, we're still in the bustling downtown Middleborough. It's where uh, let's see, the staff in Middleborough is seven of us, mm-hmm. and four of us are natives of Middleborough. Yeah, so you you've lived in Middleborough your whole life. <laughs> yeah, except for a two year stint in mm-hmm. Ithaca in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've been in Middleborough since uh, nineteen seventy seven. And what's it like? First of all, from a personal perspective of being in the place you grew up, but then also from a business perspective and maybe give a little background on like Middleborough and what what that's like. Yeah, sure. So Middleborough is this um, little town kind of sandwiched between Cape Cod and Providence slash South Shore. Uh, It's mainly comprised of cranberry farms and... uh, that's about it in terms of industry. <laughs> um, and pizza about, places, I think. And, yeah, there's no shortage. <laughs> and uh, the nail salons have moved in too now. Mm. But um, yeah, you know, I, I grew up here, went to high school here, met my wife here, and started a family here in Middleborough. And so for me, being able to start and maintain a business here is, is pretty cool. Not just from the perspective of, you know, getting to walk to work, walk home at lunch, take the dog out you know, make it to all the Little League games and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is awesome. But just having something to kind of build and cultivate here in town has a special meaning to me because I, you know, I grew up here. Yeah. 
So are, I know in the past you've had some clients local to you from the town. Mm. Is that still the case? There's a few small businesses that we, we help out, um, but the vast majority of our business comes from definitely out of the town of Middleborough. Mm-hmm. More of our business comes from Boston, New York, and Chicago. Yeah, so all the small guys are still hanging around with us, but um, I think we maxed out the market. (laughs) (laughs) So what kind of, how do you describe Shotgun Flat? What what makes you different or the same? And how do you see yourselves? Over the last like four years, maybe even a little bit more now, we kind of repositioned ourselves a bit away from being just another uh, sort of web design and you know front-end development company and we really position ourselves now more as a partner for marketing and branding and ad agencies and so we do a lot of work with marcoms to to basically serve as their kind of technical side i know that chad you probably have a laugh at that knowing my technical background but uh (laughs) yeah so we can talk about that later but yeah we position ourselves more as the go-to um, you know, U.S.-based, efficient, effective web development team that ad and marketing agencies can can, can bring in to help them deliver great web software to their clients. Mm-hmm. I think that the last time we worked on a project together was maybe 2008, mm. something like that. Sounds about right. Yeah, eight years ago. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's pretty crazy that so much time has gone by. <laughs> We must have done a great job. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, so ThoughtBot changed over that time. Sure. And that was uh, when we started growing significantly. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, there's a difference between how we've grown significantly over the last five years versus back then. But even then, that was the year we went from eight to 16 people. Mm. And just the need of working with outside people sort of went away. Mm. Yeah. And and that's that's even more so when we're at 100 people now. There's mm. almost always someone who is available. And right. oftentimes I get companies coming to us saying, hey, we really like you. Do you have any overflow work that you might pass on? And it's like, mm. yeah, the only kind of work we would pass on to you is one that we're not a good fit for. And you might not be a good fit or, you know, you might not want it either, but we, mm. we almost always have availability now. And even back yeah. then, that was part of it. And another big thing at the time I remember was we were very much into working a certain way that went from design to front end development, working inside of the Rails app. Mm. And that wasn't quite the, none of your team was familiar with Rails. Right. And we were. So it mm-hmm. changed, yeah. it changed the working relationship. I'm okay with it, you know. Yeah. We're still friends and that's what matters. <laughs> so <laughs> what, I, what I was getting at was how have you changed over the last eight years? Uh, how big are you now? Mm. And how, how how has it been for you? Yeah, so we, we kind of took a slightly different track to, for a long time, there were just really three of us uh, that were full-time employees of the company. And we had kind of built this stable of freelancers some of them are great. We worked with them for a long time, like Nate Laffin. And over time, that has changed for us. It's been um, a less rapid shift for us than, than what you went, you know, going from 8 to 16 people. Um, for us, it's, uh, you know, we've gone from f- 3 to 8 
and sort of doing the same thing. We still do have outside help on some projects, but we're also finding that more and more what we do, uh, we can do just in our own offices. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, you know, that's been nice. It's good to have, uh, you know, you have a lot more control or a sense of control over mm-hmm. what's going on. It's easier to, to sort of keep things in view. Um, you know, we, we juggle a lot of projects at the same time. So having in-house project management, in-house development, in-house design uh, helps a ton. Mm-hmm. So when we first started working together, you were very much a hands-on designer, or at least that was my perspective. You could correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was. Um, yeah. When we started, so basically it was just me for the first year. And so I had to do everything, you know, from yeah. sales to design to HTML to like pushing the site out and then start over again mm-hmm. and kind of forgot about accounting for a few years there actually. But yeah, so out of necessity, I did it all. Um, and then my brother Drew joined me the next year and that helped quite a bit, taught him some of the production stuff. Mm-hmm. And for a few years, we went down that path where I was doing the design work and Drew was doing the build Mm-hmm. And then we added sales help, um, the former my cousin Chris, and then that's kind of like when the three of us kind of got on a little bit of a roll in terms of who was to do what and so on. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, for like the next boy, I guess it was still probably six seven years. Um, I was still doing a lot of the design work, and then we found Nate Laffin, who is awesome, and freelanced for us for years and really like elevated our design game to a whole new level for a long time. And yeah. So it's worth noting that yeah. Nate designed the ThoughtBot logo that we have today. Well, a version of the one we have yeah. today. We've since yeah. revi- refined it. Um, but that robot in the circle is his design. Great. I remember seeing all those really cool <laughs> sketches and iterations go back We and had forth a lot of iterations. Back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out, though. It was worth, it it was did. worth the wait. It, and the reason why was because we both had something in mind that was ultimately not achievable, which was yeah. essentially a 3D robot. Yeah. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time trying to achieve that. And uh, ultimately, we just needed to have something flat. Just flatten them out. Yeah. yeah. It's still cool when you walk in your offices and you see the giant Ralph. Yeah. Definitely goes back quite a number of years. So Nate has moved on, but... We never really looked back in terms of like me going back to doing the design because there, there, there comes a point where you just realize there's like almost an infinite number of people that are way better than mm-hmm. me at that. So um, while I always enjoyed it and think it's fun, at this point, the production that I do tends to be more on like wireframing and information architecture, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what do you spend the rest of your time doing? Mainly CEO stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I eventually learned that I need to run the business first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. So all the good fun stuff, finance, HR, strategy, that kind of stuff, which is also fun. Yeah. So you mentioned your brother joined and then your cousin mm-hmm. joined. So yeah. are, they're both still there, right? Yeah. Yep. They're both still there. So what's it like working with family? It's really good. You know, I I know people will say, you know, never do that. But, you know, Drew and I grew up with a really good relationship. I'm six years older. So I was always able to um, 
handle him physically when we were kids <laughs> when I needed to. He's got about 40 pounds on me now, so yeah. that may not be the case anymore. But, um, you know, we've been together for, I guess, like 12 or 13, 14 years now, and we've really never had a single argument mm. or disagreement in all that time. I could say that in all honesty. It's been awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and with Chris, too. You know, Chris is a number of years older than me, and we are so, like, focused on where we're trying to go as a company that there's really not any time for, for disagreement or trouble. And, mm-hmm. um, it's been great, you know, and, and, and even a couple of the other guys that work for us are really close. One of the guys, Rustin grew up next door to us mm-hmm. at, as kids. He's actually, this is his last week at shotgun fly. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Rustin's been with us for a long time. Yeah. Right around the time I think we last worked together is when he joined. Yeah, maybe that's the common thread. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on that. <laughs> uh, right, well, no, oh, he's leaving? Okay, I got another project that we could, uh, we could work We're so on. busy. Um, you know, Rustin's been, been great, and uh, you know, happy to have had him for these these years. And um, Robert is our project manager, and he's a middle-world guy as well, who we've known mm-hmm. for many, many years before Chalk and Flat even started. And he's actually been an inhabitant of the original shotgun flat, so it's pretty cool. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so you know, when you're in when you're in a small town, keep it in the family. Mm-hmm. Oh. What's the ownership structure? Do you, your fa- you know does Drew does Chris does other people have any ownership over the company? It's the three of us um, mm-hmm. at the moment. Uh, we have talked about options in the future mm-hmm. to sort of spread that. But for the moment, it's uh, it's just Drew, Chris, and I, mm-hmm. and um, I have an iron grip on the uh, majority of the shares. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's good. It, we we set up some stuff a long time ago, and yeah, I don't know, we're cruising along. I'm assuming by that you mean it's it's not equal, and it it reflects mm-hmm. people have different ownership stake, and right. I think that that right. speaking from Thoughtbot's experience. That was one of the mistakes we made really early on was dividing everything up equally just because yeah. it seemed like the the fair thing to do. Mm-hmm. And in reality, it was probably the most unfair thing we could do, not only <laughs> yeah. for ourselves, but for the actual running of the company because we, mm-hmm. weren't, we weren't equal contributors. Yeah, that's fair. I, I agree with that. I think you know, I'm the founder, and so I do have a greater share of ownership in the company. And you know, there's been a lot at stake for all of us, but um, yeah. I'm the one that it always has to fall to in the end when mm. there's uh, when there's major challenges or major major decisions, especially on the financial side when you're when you're early on. You know, you have to make some risky decisions that mm. you know I took the risk on. So yeah. So um, you mentioned I think a couple times that you know where th- the idea of where shotgun flies headed and, mm. and that kind of thing. So where where is that? Yeah, so right now what we're we're really working hard at is is becoming sort of the go-to shop for ad and marketing agencies. That's really mm-hmm. our our focus right now. There's hundreds and hundreds of great companies out there, probably thousands who um do a great job of marketing strategy, branding and design and they need someone like us to help them sort of take that vision that they've set for their clients and, and put it to life. In a, and again, in a reliable and like high quality way. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of like right now living in this place where we're 
essentially an outsource option for them and were way better than sort of launching something over the ocean and hoping it comes back the way the way you want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the kind of space we're living in where you're looking for high quality, top quality, but looking for a company that you can afford because they have their offices in Middleborough, Massachusetts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, not in a city like Boston or mm-hmm. New York. And so we're just looking to grow that base. And it's and it's actually really cool. We've got to work on a bunch of like really amazing projects with, with really talented people over the last like three or four years. So that's we just want to keep at that um, and just keep growing our presence as like, you know, this is more than a, a five-page WordPress site. We need someone that knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And um, we want to be the, the go-to guys for that. Yeah. Are you focused on any particular technology stacks or... Yeah, so we do a lot of the marketing type websites that that we're doing. We use Craft or Expression Engine for CMS, and then we'll also do a lot of um, still, you know, custom PHP type stuff too. Mm -hmm. So you've been a certain size for a while. Yeah. How do you think that this strategy is going to change that? And do you want to? Do you want to change that? Mm. You know, I started this. I remember saying to my wife, Leah. You know, I just want to like have this little shop that's like four to eight people or something that just like does really good work and supports our lives. And that's where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do want to grow. I want the company to grow. I don't think we have our sights set on, you know, hitting the 100 employee mark or even 50, at least not at the moment. I think where we want to go is we feel like we have a nice system in place and that by adding a handful of additional employees when the time's right, we can really uh, kind of like hold the line on our costs and and really push the revenue. And and so like expanding profitability is kind of like the next step for us. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we can do that without doubling employees or tripling employees, Mm -hmm. at least for this next step. And we'll reevaluate it from there. What are the bottlenecks to doing that? Well, you know, for me, being the type of personality I am, you know, I do tend to hire people I know and love. And so (laughs) I've always been afraid of uh, going too aggressively in that direction for fear of like having to let people go if things don't work out. You know, it's 14, whatever, 15 years in, and, you know, I've never fired anyone in my life, which is uh, probably part of who I am. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the bottlenecks is just like having the sometimes what seems like bravery to go for it and to commit to people. And that's probably why like in the early years we were freelance oriented too, because you could just be straightforward with people and say, you know, it's this many hours a week for this many months and we don't know what's after that. So that's been one of the things for me. Um, But that's like a personal bottleneck and just like probably a personality flaw in some way. Um, I think as far as the business goes, um, and this was kind of a major reset for us four or five years ago in terms of like shifting our marketing and our sales efforts toward the ad and uh, marketing companies. And, and one of the bottlenecks there is your sales cycle is also affected by their sales cycle, right? right? So you spend a number of months, sometimes even more, just like getting to know them and sort of figuring out and helping them figure out that you're a good fit. And then you help them with proposal writing, different bids, sometimes as RFPs, which I really hate, but it's kind of part of it. 
And then you have to wait on that cycle to right. close and then for them to then come around and um, hire you to do the work. And and they might not even choose you at the end of the day, even though you've invested all that time and yeah. energy, right? That's right. Although we do have a, a really great core group of partners that mm-hmm. were, were like exclusive or as, as as exclusive as you could expect to be. Yeah. So that, help, that helps. You know, that way we can go into putting all that effort in the sales process with confidence knowing that if the project is one you're going to be a part of it most likely that's good that's yeah it's a big help yeah what other challenges do you see ahead for your business for yourself yeah we're out of space (laughs) (laughs) where we are it's one of the again one of the beauties of being in a small town we just are subleasing space from a friend who has a retail operation there in the mortgage industry and we just kind of hide out in the back and have our own little segmented area but we're we're pretty crowded in there, so that's that's one challenge for us. I think the other one is like just expanding our footprint from a sales and marketing standpoint um, mm-hmm. to find, you know, we'd love to find another ten or twelve great agencies to work with in the next you know six months or so. Mm-hmm. But with that comes additional capacity that we're going to need. Um, you know, I was, I was talking to Drew today and. We are pretty maxed right now this month, um, just in terms of output. So mm-hmm. we got to figure out that right mix of, you know, signing new customers and new projects, and actually being able to deliver those on time with the quality that we promise. So mm-hmm. that's always a challenge, and it's a good one. It's a better one than saying, you know, the biggest challenge we have right now is we have no prospects for new business. <laughs> so um, we'll take it. It's just, uh, it's definitely something that has to be managed. Yeah. So you did something that we haven't done, which is hire someone who's not a designer or developer to help with sales. Mm-hmm. And you did that a while ago now yeah. with Chris. But he's the only one? He is the only mm-hmm. one. Um, mm-hmm. I do a lot of sales work myself, and yeah. we, we work on stuff together. So he's been spending more time kind of like introducing us to potential partners, getting to know them, kind of putting that good first foot forward with prospects. And then I'm involved in a lot of the sales Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. still to, which I love to sort of help him craft the right proposal, the right solution. Um, And then, yeah. So he's kind of like traditionally been the bird dog, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we kind of have this tag team thing going on for, for sales, which has worked really well. I'm glad to hear that it's gone well. Mm -hmm. Um, Has there been any, desire to grow that like add a second person or more people in that role absolutely um we've talked about that it's on the roadmap right now um for this year to find another good fit to help to help Mm -hmm. chris in that area for sure it's probably the next hire we make i think obviously part of the reason why we've avoided it is around the idea of motivation and and really Mm -hmm. ensuring that we have the right fit is really hard, I think, um, especially to go from zero where we can sort of say as a team, we are all motivated by the same thing, which is actually doing the design and development we want to be doing in the way that we want to do it mm. to that flipping that bit to saying, oh, there's someone who's talking to customers who's potentially not going to do the work. And yeah. it's always been easier for us in some ways play it safe, even though we can sort of spin it and say, actually, we're taking the harder path. But <laughs> in reality, I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's it's playing it safe because we're afraid 
of what bringing someone onto the team who is pulling us in other directions or uh, might might do to the company and do to the to the team. Yeah, I I totally see that for you guys, and it's always been that way, right? Mm-hmm. Have you faced that? Have you have you had to navigate that with Chris? Yeah, for sure. And and the good thing about Chris, you know, and I think part of this comes to you know having ownership mm-hmm. in the company. He often is like the first one to say this may not be a fit here. And so we haven't had very much pressure at all over the years in terms of, you know, look guys, uh, we need to make this sale. So let's just make it and figure mm-hmm. it out. That, mm-hmm. that like never happens, mm-hmm. which is good. You know, he understands the long-term vision that we need to have for it to work out. So I think hiring a salesperson for us was good and it needed to be someone who could be sensitive to that, that very thing that you guys have wanted to avoid. So yeah, it's, it's worked out pretty well. That's good. That's good. And if you were to bring on a, another person, would Chris lead that process or, or how would that work? Like how would you navigate finding the right person? It's a good question. I think again, Chris and I and Drew would probably all be involved in that yeah. um, because I think each of us has strengths in that area um, right. and has a good idea of what would be a good fit. Well, they just have to have been born in Middleborough. In Middleborough, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that narrows the field down really fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if anyone's listening, come on by. You have a job. <laughs> no, but I think like you know, Chris understands the the sort of outside sales piece of it, the sort of like presentation layer. Mm-hmm. He's a lot better looking than me or Drew, which helps. He's willing to wear a suit. He is. Although we've kind of talked him down to. A slightly more like business casual look at this point, you know. Um, but yeah, you you know when he's he's going out of the office when he he'll come in and he's got like a blazer on or something and we give mm-hmm. him a hard time. And then when they come in to see us, there's like this really casual environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he you know he understands that first impression stuff, and then you know Drew and I are kind of more like question answerers, mm-hmm. you know. So we'd want to find someone that could do all that. Which is probably why we haven't. <laughs> yeah, I believe me. I, I know it's a, it's a big challenge. And we certainly haven't made it easy on ourselves because being mm-hmm. in seven different cities and trying to do that locally in each one yeah. of them yeah. without a salesperson is is tough. Yeah. I bet you couldn't even make it in Middleborough. <laughs> no, we couldn't cut it in Middleborough. We'll get you cornered there. Yeah. <laughs> So is there something that you are particularly excited about or interested in, either from a business or technology perspective that has you excited? Yeah, actually, and this is kind of like a little bit off the beaten path, but um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of different pastimes that I enjoy. And one of them um, is, is brewing and drinking beer. So here in Middleborough, again, we're, we're going to be opening a commercial brewery pretty cool. soon. And um, we're going to be kind of looking at some ideas on how to marry technology and like the web and the mobile user with people getting their hands on local craft beer, which is mm-hmm. going to be kind of fun. So my role in the, in the brewery is like to do the sales and marketing stuff. And one of the things we want to do is like experiment with home delivery and experiment with Someone being able to take a phone out of their pocket and get their hands yeah. on some uh, beer that was made two days ago. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. And we're just like doing the 
actual like carpentry work right now on the on the brewery. So is it a shotgun flat project or is it a little bit separate? It's separate. Okay. Um, yeah, the, we we're not brewing on the client's time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a friend of mine named Scott Bradley, who I play music with as well, he's a great brewer, and um, we've been enjoying some of his creations for a couple of years now. And we just got approval from the town of Middleborough to uh, start making and selling beer there at the brewery. So it will become a shotgun flat project once. Um, we're underway in terms of building whatever the tech piece of this is yeah. going to end up being. Yeah. Um, that'll be something we're working on at, at Shotgun Flat. Yeah, That's cool. So I'm sure you've learned more than you ever wanted to know about the regulations around brewing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Is it all at the town level that you need uh, to be concerned with, or are there multiple levels? I wish it were. There's, uh, there's lots of different layers. You've got your local... And then the state agency and then the federal. Mm-hmm. So it's three layers of licensing that you have to go through just for approval to sell commercially brewed beer. Yeah. So we just got the, even just the town, we needed to go through an appeal process just to get them to say, yeah, go ahead and brew beer, which we were already doing anyway. Mm-hmm. But when you're going to sell it, it becomes a different story. So you have to navigate the health regulations. Like when we're brewing for fun, there's this goat that lives on the property that just comes by and like di- dives into the grain, into the uh, malt, and I don't think they're gonna let us do that <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then there's like background checks for all of the owners and shareholders um, at the federal level, and then there's the state level stuff as well. So lots of hoops and regulations to jump through, which is why you know we're building now and we're probably talking at least 12 months before we uh, get beer into restaurants or anything like that wow what's the name of the brewery well it's the thirsty goat that's the uh, <laughs> that's too bad about that goat <laughs> yeah it's too bad she she's um actually a funny story about the goat we were standing around one night and the goat was hanging around with us and one of the other people there said um how long do goats live i have no idea and uh my friend scott said yeah you know like 15 years or so and i said how old is this goat and he said 16 <laughs> so, so she may not be around when when the, the ribbon cutting happens but you'll have to get another now. goat yeah we just get a bunch of them or uh stuff the goat <laughs> we could put it on the delivery van yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a very good marketing idea <laughs> oh yeah you know that brewery that has the dead goat they drive around yeah oh it's great it's stuff you love it yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you're also doing a band so my spare time involves writing and playing uh, music as well. Yep, I'm in a band called Mountain Weekend, and we're uh, mostly local guys, Middleborough guys uh, again. <laughs> and yeah, we're we're playing out quite a bit. We're uh, cool. just finished recording what hopefully will become our first uh, record, and we're gonna do a little summer tour coming up in August. So it's pretty cool, you know. We get to play music and, and we practice in the brewery of course so like there's ample beer there for creativity or whatever and i'm learning a lot about the technology and the business world surrounding music as well which mm-hmm. is like really interesting and really crowded and competitive um it's pretty cool to just like think about things as a as a musician and as a business owner and, and you know look at how those two things come together which is usually not very well and just, I've had lots of ideas in a notebook 
on that that front as well that haven't really come out. It seems like you often take your hobbies to another level. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I'm in the shock and flat. Yeah, right. that's right. That's right. And between the brewery and the band, like it's not just hey, a bunch of people get together. Maybe it starts that way. Did it start yeah. that way? And then yeah, are you the one pushing it to be more than that? I think so, even mm-hmm. if it's not necessarily overt in that way, but I think just like the entrepreneurial spirit in me just like naturally leads me that way. Yeah, like the music thing just started with me and my brother-in-law just kind of messing around mm-hmm. with acoustic guitars and then it became like, hey, we should like try to play in a restaurant in Middleborough and that was we should get paid for this you know <laughs> and then um goes from there and the brewing is the same thing Scott's an entrepreneur as well and we knew like it was good enough product that people want it mm-hmm. so how do you manage your time how do you not get distracted or overworked or maybe you do that's an interesting question because I think a year ago I may not have been able to answer it mm-hmm. um because I have a lot of other stuff going on as well like just with family and kids and coaching youth sports and all that stuff um which also takes a ton of time Mm -hmm. but i think what i've learned by like committing myself to lots of stuff that i love to do that even if it took me 40 years to figure it out i've finally figured out like i have to be intentional with my time or else i could run the risk of getting nothing done on any front you know and so in the last year or even or two years probably more like one year i've kind of just committed to like managing and committing myself fully to whatever's on paper for that moment. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of energy, you know, to, to get up, run a business, run out the door, coach a soccer practice, eat something quick, and then like go play music for three hours and then go home and crash, mm-hmm. do it again. But um, I think it's actually made me a better manager of time and I forget a lot less now than I used to. And, you know, that's another interesting thing with, singing and just memorizing lyrics and chord progressions and my mind's sharper than it was five years ago which is really interesting i used to be like this total as you know kind of scatterbrain and um i'm locked in on so many things that are important to me now that that's kind of gone which is a pretty cool byproduct that's really cool yeah hopefully it sticks around so this may be a very way too deep question but like (laughs) Is there a big plan or do you do you see yourself doing these projects, doing Shotgun Flat forever? Yeah, I mean, I see Shotgun Flat being something that is always first. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's how I provide for the family and, and other folks provide for their families. And so that's really like the business. The other things, you know, they're just kind of, let's see where they go. And it's more like the joy of creating and doing things and then the joy of entrepreneurship kind of melding together Mm -hmm. that, that I enjoy, but I don't have any plans to like have the music career sort of annex all of my time from the business. Um, that's probably not practical since I'm one of the younger guys in the, in the band and I'm 41. So we all have kids and jobs and we're not quite ready to be, uh, Grateful Dead on tour or anything. (laughs) And the beer thing is like going to be fun and really interesting to see what happens. We hope it does really well, but we're going to be intentionally small and local and, you know, maybe get ourselves into 10 or 15 local restaurants and bars and then do the the 
the delivery thing and see where it goes from there. Yeah. Cool. Well, Mike, thanks so much for uh, talking yeah, to it's, me. It's been great catching up with you. If folks want to learn more about Shotgun Flat or follow you, what's the best way that they could do that? Best way to do that is um, to check out the website, shotgunflat.com. You'll have a nice little short overview of who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. And then um, they can just call the office and say, hey, tell me more about you. I heard about <laughs> you on Giant Robots. And yeah, I, yeah. I want to learn me, more. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, um, thanks again. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Chad. And that about does it for this episode of Giant Robots. You can find the show notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm slash 243. This episode was recorded and produced by Tom Obarski. See you next time.